Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning. It is uh, good to see you again. I want to remind you, if you are a guest, if you've been coming just for a short a short time here at New Life, let's meet each other. It's good to meet you. I just hang around. Other pastors, we just hang around. We want to spend time. We want to get to know each other. So this becomes a place that you're comfortable with. You have familiar faces that greet you every weekend that you come. So let me ask the question. What would you do if you suddenly won $34 million? Well, it happened to a family from a town in New York. The dad spent a $5 on a winning lotto ticket, and he hit the jackpot. So what did they do? Well, dad quit his job as a Pepsi truck driver. Uh, They all went to Disney World together. Uh, Their two sons wanted cars. One wanted a Lamborghini. The other wanted a Dodge Viper. Mom wanted property on waterfront with her dream kitchen and a walk-in closet. So here is the million-dollar question, no pun intended. How would you live your life after the lottery? Now, this isn't hypothetical because in so many ways you're already a winner. For instance, we are living, we are breathing, we're thinking, we're working, we're creating. We're doing all of this in one of the wealthiest, most blessed nations on this planet. You're rich because of where you live. But you're also rich because you're a Christ follower. You're rich because of who you know. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, it says, And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That God has blessed you beyond measure. What are you going to do with your winnings? Let me urge all of us to consider this question over the next eight weeks. Something that I want all of us to think about. How will you steward the one and only beautiful life that God has given you? For the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship. What does that mean? I mean, how does that impact my life? How does that change my life? How does that impact the place I live, the people that I'm connected to? Because stewardship is a central theme in God's Word. From the beginning to the end, it's about stewardship. How do we conduct our life in a way that pleases God and a way that honors others? So how do we look at this? Here's the question again. How will you steward the one and only beautiful life that God has given you? I want you to listen to our theme verse for the next several weekends. It's a wonderful verse, and you can do this if you want to open your Bibles with me. And we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And it reads like this. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever Amen. Now I want you to look at something that's a little unusual. You'll notice the ending there is a doxology. It's really the ending of something going on right in the middle of a chapter. It's unusual. You don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament. Peter's inserting something here that he's saying is wonderful and beautiful and all of us should know. 
What he's saying here is I want you to pay attention of what it means to be a good, faithful steward of the blessings and the gifts that God has given you. And he concludes that by saying, and to Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever, amen. It's a great way to get our attention because Peter calls us faithful stewards of God's grace. Now, the word steward in the original language is okianomos, okianomos. Now, I don't usually give the original language, but thought it would be beneficial here for a few reasons. Number one, I like saying it, okianomos. I love it. It's a fun word to say. Say it, okianomos. See, you got it down. In fact, it's a popular word. I didn't really know this. I'm familiar somewhat with the term. It's popular with nonprofit organizations, Christian organizations that want to bless and serve other people. I went to the website and found Okeanomos, and there were several people that, and companies that named their Christian companies Okeanomos. So I thought that was interesting. So when I look at this, I recognize it's important for us to understand what it means. So let me tell you what it means. It simply means household servant... Or household manager. In fact, the word is interchangeable with the word servant. Now, here's something else that I find interesting. I don't know how many of you out there are business majors or you've, you've gone to business school or you're in economics, you've studied economics. Uh, if you have, this word may sound somewhat familiar. And the reason it may sound familiar is because this is where we get the modern term for economy. This is where the word comes from. So ironically, there are those who use economics for their own selfish gain rather than what this really means. This means to be a good steward of God's wealth. And if you're involved with others' lives, then to be a good steward of their wealth as well. Now, I want you to go back again with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Because wrapped into these two brief verses are some incredible stewardship principles that I think when understood can release you to be more mature in Christ Jesus. That when you understand the principles, especially that we're going to be going through in the next eight weeks, your roots are going to grow deep. The, the, the fruit of your life is going to be more evident. I believe that with all of my heart, especially after I've investigated what I've found here and looked into this whole concept and truth of what it means to be a good steward. In fact, you notice we didn't fancy up the title. We're just calling it stewardship. Okeanomos. That stands for what it stands for. And we want you to know how important this is. That you'll be able to say at the end of eight weeks... I have grown from being a passive contributor in the body to a strong, engaged steward that I am all in. I'm all in because I recognize the truth about what it means to be a steward. Now, look at verse 10, and I want to read it again to you. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various Forms. Now, the word gift is the Greek word charisma, which simply means, now listen to this, it's important you understand what this means, because if you don't get this, you don't have any place to hang your hat. It just simply means a gift of grace. It means a free gift. Now, these are gifts that God has given you to serve the body of Christ. That's the express purpose of these gifts. They're gifts to you meant to or with the sole purpose of giving to others. So here's what's being said here. The gifts that God gives you, those spiritual gifts, that in fact you get when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
that once you know Jesus, I mean, I, I thought I was rich when I understood my sins were forgiven, <laughs> that I'm rich because I've received eternal life. And then I read this and I think, wait a minute, there's more. I receive spiritual gifts to pass on to others. And that really is the key here. It's about passing it on to others. The gift that God has given you, the spiritual gifts that God has given you aren't meant for you to hold on to. They're not meant for you to hoard. They're not meant for you to keep back. The reason he's given them to you is for one purpose and one purpose only is that you would pass those gifts on. Uh, uh, Last week we sat down uh, in our living room with my granddaughter she just turned six yesterday and she wanted to they were spending the night and she wanted to, to to watch videos of her dad and and her uncle and her aunt and and all their cousins and so we flash back all the way to 1994 christmas of 1994 and my wife and and her sisters put this game together where they all sat on the ground and they had this present and, and they passed the present around while the music was playing and once the music stopped, whoever had the present could start to open it. But once the music started again, you had to pass the present on. You could not believe how tempting it was for those little guys to hold on to that present even when they heard the music start again. There was no way some of those were going to pass it on. They had the present, they had the gift, and they were going to keep it for themselves. And they started opening it and tearing it. And you could see the screaming and the yelling and the, hey, hey, pass it on, give it to us thought about how we do that we hold on to our spiritual gifts and actually when you do that you may not realize this but you frustrate everyone else around you they may not even know why they're frustrated but they may be thinking wow you need to pass your gifts on you need to give your gift to me you need to help me out now that's what these gifts are designed to do they're designed to help us out in the body of christ now here's something else all believers hear this all believers have at least one gift that they can give. There's no fudging here. You you can't say, well, I I don't have anything to give. If you're a Christ follower, you have something to give because resident in you is Jesus Christ. And when he is resident in you, then you have something to give to others. Everyone in this room that knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior has a gift to give. They all, we all have gifts. You have gifts. I have gifts to give away. Regardless of what you may think, God's word teaches us that every Christian has a spiritual gift. Now, you can verify that if you want to. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 6. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But you need to know that that everyone has a gift to give. Everyone. I heard a story, a touching story. It was a few weeks ago that I heard the story about a dear Christian family. And they were raising their kids. And and one of their children, a boy, was uh, severely disabled. Severely disabled. And, and, um, and, and when, you, when you looked at him first, I mean, the first impression you would have is that he, he's unable to communicate. He's unable to give back. He's unable because the family was surrounding him and doing everything. And people had to really help him because he was, he was so disabled. And, and, and then you hear the family talk. And then the family starts to talk about this child and how much this child gives to them and how much this child loves them and how much they love the child. And you're wondering to yourself, well, what would this child give? I mean, what in the world could this child really give? And the answer was very simple. The mother spoke up and said this. This child gives everyone who comes into his presence a smile. 
There is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how old you are, young you are. It doesn't matter your past. doesn't matter where you've come from, where you've been. It does not matter. You come into that room, that child sees you, and that child smiles. It's a smile that lights up the room and melts the heart of the recipient that's receiving that smile. What is that gift? It's a gift of encouragement. Anyone in the presence of that child is encouraged. There's unconditional love. You all have spiritual gifts to give away. So if you haven't, start giving. Because this is something God has designed for you and me to do. Listen, at the point you became, and I've said this, but at the point you became a believer in Jesus... You're also a member of this wonderful family called the body of Christ with gifts to bring to the family. As my friend says, bring your groceries to the party. Bring what you have. Bring what God has given you to the party. Now, I want to stay in verse 10 a little longer because understanding and living out this next principle will determine whether or not you're a good, faithful steward. And it has to do, and it has everything to do with perspective. It has everything to do with perspective. The way that you view your relationship with God. Here it is. The perspectives I'm talking about. Do you believe that you are the owner and sole proprietor of all that you have? And God is there to serve you. That God's number one responsibility is to bless you. Or do you believe that God is the owner and sole proprietor of all that you have and you steward and serve God, that your number one responsibility is to bless him. Contrasting views, aren't they? Both views taught in the body of Christ, but I think one is true and one not so much. And those are the ones that we have to compare our lives to. Those, that's the standard we need to look at because it is popular today to teach that the fact that God is here, he's here just to totally and always bless you. That you're his number one responsibility. He wants to bless you all the time. In fact, he's kind of like this genie and you rub the bottle and he pops out. You tell him what you want and he goes and does it for you and you're all fine and dandy. Or there's another view. The other view, according to 1 Peter, is that you serve him. But your number one responsibility in life is to bless God. Now, I thought it'd be appropriate to do something. I thought it'd be appropriate to show you what I mean practically. Let's contrast those two thoughts in real ways. I mean, how would we do that? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at time. Time is a gift. But if you're the one who owns your time, then this is what happens. You miss opportunities to invest in and serve others largely because you use your time to serve you. When you own time, you, you believe that, that it's, it's infinite. When you own time, you can do what you want with time. When you own time, you can do, you go and do whatever you want. You can do that. But listen, if you understand that you're a steward of the wonderful gift of time that's given to you, you go to Ephesians 5.16 where it says make the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil and Jesus is coming back soon. That's a different perspective. That's someone who's saying, man, time is a gift. My responsibility is to steward that time. My responsibility is to make every opportunity count. The big ones, the little ones, the in-between ones, every opportunity. God, give me eyes to see like a steward of time does. Your steward. I'm here to serve you, God. What about something else? Here's one. What about your sexuality? 
Annette and I are going to share on this in a few weeks. Her and I are going to teach together on our sexuality. And what does it mean? It's stewardship. It's a stewardship issue. Man, some of you are thinking, wow, when I saw stewardship, I thought the dude was just going to talk about money. No, 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 no. This is more, a lot more than money. This is, again, stewardship of everything in your life. Everything that God has given you, everything that he's blessed you with. We are asked here to be a good steward of all that he's blessed us with. So here it is. If you think you're an owner of your sexuality, well, there's nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage because you make up the rules. It doesn't matter. I own it. It's all fine. And if I'm the owner of sexuality, then I can do what I want with my body. It doesn't matter. No one else can tell me what to do. Because why? I own it. It's mine. I can do what I want with it. But if I see it on the other side and recognize that I'm just a steward of my sexuality, you understand 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says my body is a temple of God's Holy Spirit. This is the place that God's Spirit dwells. How awesome is that? I mean, God lives here. God lives there. So, wow, I have a responsibility to steward this well. I can't treat this the way I want to treat it. I can't do whatever I want to do with this because the Spirit of God dwells here. There are guidelines that God gives me in the Word. Why does He do it? To bless me. To bless me in my marriage. To bless me in my friendships. To bless me. He blesses me that way. And I need to be a good steward of my sexuality. I need to be a good steward of the gifts that God has given me. Now here's another one. You're talking about money, let's get to it. So if I think that I own all my money, that I've earned it, I have every right to every dime, every penny, then here's the way it looks. This is the way it looks. If I am the owner of all my money and God is just around to bless me and his number one responsibility is to serve me, then when I give, I tip him instead of tithe to him. Why? He's a good waiter. Hey, wait on me, man. I need something. He's right there. Well, you did good today. I think I'm going to give you a little, a few more dollars. That's called tipping. It's gratuity. Gratuity has nothing to do and is not even mentioned in Scripture. But I'll tell you something else. If you see all your money and it's given to you by God and you're a steward of that money that comes in, here's the way a steward looks at it. Wow, God, whew, I get to keep 90%. What a blessing. And I give you 10 and beyond. See, my goal isn't 10. My goal is a lot more than that. And I'll talk to you later about that. Stewards look differently at life. Can you see the difference? Could you see how your life turns out if you think you own it or if you think you're a steward? Totally different paths. Totally. But it's subtle when we first talk about it, isn't it? I mean, your first impression is, of course I own it. And then you have to think about the word. You have to think about what God says about my life and what I do and how I oversee and steward the things that he has given me. I am so thankful he's asked me to be the steward of the various gifts that he's blessed us with. Now, you go on to verse 11 here. Verse 11 says this. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 
What's Peter telling us? You know, Peter is telling us that there are two ways or qualities that we can evaluate faithful stewardship by. That's what he's saying. He's saying you may not be able to look in every aspect of people's lives to find out if they're good stewards. You can't maybe look into my life and find out all. But there are two things that you can evaluate. All of us can evaluate about ourselves, about our co-stewards. One is the way that we speak. And one is the way that we serve. This is out there. It's out there. It's public. Can't get away from it. So Peter's saying, hey, you need to know that if you're a good steward, you're responsible for what you say. If you're a good steward, you're responsible for what you do. And that's what Peter says here. So he says, one is speaking. This is about what you say because from the mouth, the heart speaks. Can I tell you one of the greatest challenges I have in, in really uh, helping develop other leaders, especially when they're young? Uh, young leaders are obligated. They feel obligated. They feel obligated to tell you everything they think. They, they feel obligated to tell you all their opinions. They feel, you know, it's, it, I, I know. I've been there. Been there and done that. But it just seems to be an obligation. I'm just going to tell you everything. I've got an opinion on everything. You know, one of the first things I, I tell young leaders, I say this. One of the first things you need to learn is you need to learn how to steward your voice. Because after a while, if you don't steward your voice well, people just punch the mute button. Because you got, you, got, you got something to say about everything. You really do. And how important is this if we're even to be vessels that communicate the gospel and all we do is ramble on about everything else, they're not going to even hear the gospel. Because right when you open your mouth, boop, blah, I want to be a good steward of my voice. I want to know when to speak. I want to know when to be quiet. I want to know what to say when I need to say it and how to say it. God has called me to be a steward. And one of the things that I'm extremely aware of, I'm going to tell you, every day when I'm here, when I'm sitting down personally and privately, I am aware of my voice. I'm aware of what I'm saying because I know it influences you. I know what I could say could hurt you. I know what I could say could help you. It's a gift that God has given me. So if I say anything that's discouraging, guess what happens? It can hurt people. If I do that with my children, I can hurt my children. Listen, I'm aware of the voice that God has given me. I think we have to be, can I say this? I think the church needs to ramp it up in the awareness of their voice. Be aware of what you're saying. Be aware because what Peter says here is this. When you speak, you should represent and it should represent the word of God rather than your own viewpoint. He's saying, hey, when you talk, would you make sure that you're sharing the word of God, the principles of God's word? Because I know this. My tendency is this, and, and, and maybe you can agree, and maybe, maybe you, you've done this. I shoot from the hip. I can shoot from the hip. I can't. And the Lord has just chastised me there because it's part of my nature. It's kind of part of what I do. I mean, you just, and you shoot from the hip. People get all messed up when you shoot from the hip. And usually when you shoot from the hip, you espouse your own ideas according to your own personal agendas, your own bias, and you're not really understanding the authority of the word of God. Listen, God's word is the supreme authority in our lives. And so when we speak, speak the word of God. Now, it might not come in King James fashion or form, thus saith the Lord. But the principles that you speak, 
need to be the principles of the word of God. The principles you speak and share need to be founded and grounded in God's word. It's the authority. Listen, there's nothing else that has the authority in my life that God's word has. It's the authority. You know the word is, it describes and describes itself as being a mirror? That the word of God is a mirror that, that if I want correction in my life, if I want to get better, if I want to grow, what do I do? I lift this mirror up called the word of God. It's a metaphor, but I lift it up. And I say, what does the word say about me? And I look at that and I think, oh, not what everyone else says, not what culture says, not that I'm fitting into what everyone else wants me to fit into, but what does the word say about me? This is important. I need to know, I need to get my cues from the mirror of the word. You know, you, know, you know how embarrassing it is? Have you ever done this? I mean, you, you had a great meal and you went out and you spent a, a couple hours with friends and you came home and you went to brush your teeth and a big old piece of spinach is stuck right there. None of your friends told you you had any spinach. Those aren't good friends. There's a friend, though, that will show you you've got spinach stuck in your teeth. You hold up the mirror of God and the mirror of God is so beautiful. And so compassionate and so loving. The mirror of God won't let you go out in public and embarrass yourself if you look at it and you say, wow, I've got this stuck in my heart. Oh, God, help me. So that when I look into your mirror, God, the authority of your word, and I go out and I spend time with friends and family, the people that I love, then the mirror's already corrected me, and I don't have to be rebuked out there. I, I don't have to have somebody come in and say, you got some, yeah, right here, mm-hmm, right in your teeth. Why? Because the mirror of God's word already took care of that in my life. The authority of the word is what we want to speak. God desires that we be dedicated students who handle his word with care so that our teaching is truly based on his truth and not our ideas, not our experiences. Listen, we don't take our experiences and try to somehow sift them through the word. We take the word and try to sift our experiences through that. Makes all the difference on how you see life. It's the word of God. I want to submit to the word of God. That's why around here you go to places, you see things that have to do with the word. It's the word is central. That's how we have Canby Bible, why we have Canby Bible College. That's why we have our women's Bible studies, our men's Bible studies, our gear programs, our ID programs. And this time that we get together, it's about the word of God. Do you notice and have you ever thought of the one phrase I use every service, every weekend, every time? There's one phrase that I always use. I change others, but I use this one every single time. You want to hear it? Would you open your word to? I said it today. Every time. I'm not saying, hey, open your comic book. Hey, open the experiences of your heart. All those are good. They're beautiful. They are beautiful. What we need to open is we need to open the word. And say, what, is, what does the word say about this? So it's how I speak. And I want to speak as a good steward according to the word of God. And then there's another quality here. The other quality is serving. How do I evaluate a good steward? How do I evaluate my life as a good steward? By serving. This is about what you do. And our actions oftentimes speak louder than our words. All stewards need to be serving. And when they do, it must be out of God's strength and not their own. Do you see what, what Peter says here? He says, hey, don't try to serve in your own strength. 
That's why you've been given the Holy Spirit. The first chapter of Acts says, hey, you're going to go be my witnesses, which in another way is serving, being a martyr, being okinomos, a, a good steward of the household, is what it says in Acts chapter 1. But in order to do that and to serve well, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. You need to have strength that's beyond you. You need to have strength that's supernatural in you. And that's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul, or excuse me, Peter is saying you need to do two things to show evidence here so people can see. They can evaluate you as a good steward. It's how you speak and do you speak the Word of God. It's how you serve. Are you serving in the power and strength of God's Holy Spirit? I want to tell you something. This may be a little clue to some of you. People ask, well, how, how can I connect to this church family? How can I connect to this local church? And I, I have to say, as I've watched the DNA of this church progress over the years, I know that the easiest, can I tell you, the easiest way that you can connect here, and that doesn't mean it's true about every other church. I just know it's true about here. I just know it's true about here. The easiest way that you can connect to this church is by serving. It's the easiest way. Because by serving, three things happen. Well, I'm going to tell you what those three things are. First of all, you get to know others. You know, when you serve with others, you forge out some relationships that last for a lifetime. I mean, I can't hardly break people apart when they come after a mission trip. It's like, ah, brother, I saw you in your underwear. I know what this is all. You know, I mean, people see each other. They see each other. They see what's in their heart. They see what they wear. They see how dirty they are. They see, they see each other. When you serve, you see each other. You get to know each other. You get to love each other. It forms great, long relationships. People that I served with, and when I, especially when I started here 24 years ago, those people are still my best friends because we serve together. You want to get to know others? Really? Then serve with others. Secondly, you know what serving does? <laughs> Helps you get to know yourself. Aye. You know, because when you serve, <clears throat> is what you find out. Wow, I'm not as patient as I thought I was. You know, uh, when I serve, I realize, well, I don't, <laughs> I thought I liked the person, but I really don't like the person. So what do I got to do now? I got to work it out, according to the word. See, when I, when I serve, there's things that get exposed in my heart that wouldn't get exposed otherwise. If I don't serve, you know what's easy to do? It's easy to deny that you have any faults. When you don't serve, you know, people, oh, they got on me. They got upset. I mean, we couldn't get along. I said, hey, get over it. It's the way it is. When you serve, that's what happens. You see things in your own life that God wants to take care of. You can't just sweep it under the rug. Try that when you serve with others. It doesn't work. You find out things about yourself, but the third thing, most important, when you serve, you get to know God. You get to know God. You get to know about your relationship with God because God uses people in action. I mean, you know what? He, <clears throat> pew sitters aren't really, he, what does he do? He uses people who say, I want to serve. I want to get it going. And then God says, good. I can use somebody that's already moving. And when you do this, I'm going to honor you by getting to know you. And you're going to get to know me. It's a principle that runs all the way through the word. We don't even talk about it that much. From Genesis to Revelation, it talks about that. My favorite story in serving is David. 
We talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, what's he doing? He gets up in the morning. His father Jesse comes to him and he says, Son, I need you to take some bread and cheese to your brothers who are on the front line. They're facing down the Philistines, those bad boys. You need to go and you need to bring bread and cheese to your brothers. And so he's, he's got his little cart, his bread and cheese, and he's just minding his own business. And he gets up to the battle line and he hears this big, ugly brute start cursing his God. And he drops it. He's, what is going on here? This God, this God is, is the God I love. And this man offends me. He offends my God. I learned to love this God in the fields of Bethlehem while I was serving the Lord, while I was serving my father. I learned to love this God because I started playing music to him when I was serving him in the fields of Bethlehem. I learned to love this God because I killed a lion and a bear. He gave me the strength to do that while I was serving I learned about God. I learned how much he loves me. And this uncircumcised Philistine is cursing him. And you know the rest. Now let me ask you a question. When David got up in the morning, do you think that morning he woke up and he went, Yep, today I'm going to kill a giant and I'm going to be famous. He had no idea. But you know what? He was ready to kill a giant because he served. He was ready to do battle because he found out who God was in his service to him. And then he gets there and all of a sudden the curtain on his stage comes back. All the while he's behind a curtain and he's delivering bread and cheese and serving his father and tending sheep. And now that curtain comes back and he's going like this. Oh. Oh, yeah, this is the thing to do. You go kill this guy. Anyone going to do it? No, I'll do it. I'll do this because I've served him. I know him. He knows me. I found that out in Bethlehem. I found that out in those valleys of the shadow of death. I found out that he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my source. He is my deliverer. He is my strong tower. He is my counselor. He is the wings over me. He is the shadow behind me. It is him because I found out as I served him. You want to be a steward of the living God. Then you speak his word and that you serve him. You get to know you get to know others. You get to know yourself. Most of all, you get to know God. Amen? Thought about how we should end this. You know, how should we end this service? And I think there's only one appropriate way. It's offering. I knew you were going to get there. But it's a different offering. Sure, it has to do with your money. It always does. I mean, life is about that. But it also has to do with offering Offering him ownership. Giving him ownership. What, what, are, what, what do you own? What are you owning right now that you have no business owning? Do you think you own your time? Really? Do you think you own your sexuality? Do you think you own your money? And what you're saying here, man, I, I, I realize something. I I don't own this. I need to shift. I need to be a steward of this. I, I don't own it. I'm a steward. 
And I need to relinquish ownership. Now, I only gave you three areas. <laughs> there may be a lot more, and there really are. But, but God may have talked to you about something else. That you need, to, you need to look at him square in the eyeballs and say, I, I've owned this, and I need to give it to you. You own it, God. Let me steward. That's where I'm the best. That's where we're the best. It's when we steward and not own. We go bankrupt when we own. We run ourselves and everyone around us in the ground when we're the owners. And what we're saying through our offering today, in just a moment, when our offering baskets go around, you take one of those white cards that are right there in the seat pockets in front of you and say, right on there, say, Lord, I relinquish ownership of my time to you. Lord, I, I, I relinquish ownership of my body to you. I relinquish ownership of my money to you. What is it that you need to give him back? That's the offering. And certainly our gifts, our tithe, our offering, we're saying, God, we're giving that to you because you're worthy. You've given us 90%. We're giving you back. God, I don't want to just be a... I just don't want to tip you. I don't. I want to be a steward. And I want to give to you with joy and generosity so that my life's blessed. And everyone who comes in contact with you and me, they're blessed. Because we're good stewards, faithful stewards of the gifts he's given us. Would you bow your head with me as we invite the, the worship team forward? And just a moment, we're going to also have our, our prayer teams and they can make themselves available as well around the sanctuary. But with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray over this offering. I know for some of us, this may have been just real stark realities. Whoa, it's a wake-up call. Some of us may be thinking, man, I never thought of it this way before. I get that too, I, I do. Some of us may be saying, I know it, but I just don't want to do it. All of this can be offered to the Lord, all of it. Whatever it is you need to offer him to, to relinquish ownership back to him, would you do that? Maybe you need to re-consecrate something to the Lord. Maybe you did have a good stewardship practices and some discipline in your life, some aspect of your life, but it's just, just waned. You need to give it back to him. Give ownership back to God today. As I pray, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward and, and I want us to offer him everything today. Give him our only true, wise, loving God. Father, you've given us a wonderful, beautiful life to live. Even in all of its hardships, all of its setbacks, we are rich. Father, we just say today that we relinquish ownership of our lives and all the gifts that you've given us to you. We, we don't own it. We may fool ourselves to think we do, but you're the true and only owner of all things. And the reason is, is you've created all things. And you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, who died for all men and women, all boys and girls, who died for all mankind. Thank you for that. 
Father, I just give back to you those things that I've had a tight grip on. I relinquish those things to you. And thank you for your sweet spirit. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for speaking the truth to us in love in a way that we can drink and we can eat. The living water, the bread of life. All those things that nourish us, us that strengthen us from our spirit inside out. You are so wonderful and thorough to take care of us. Let us now be the stewards you've called us to be in these next eight weeks. Transform us. Let our roots grow deep. Let us bear much fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.